Thank you, Sam, for leading us so well this morning as we reflect on the greatness of God through song. Sam has been serving with us over the course of this year as one of our pastoral interns, and we're grateful for his devotion to the body of Christ uh, here at Woodlawn. Sam, you're one of the most kind, gracious young men I've ever met. Thank you for serving so well with us here at, at Woodlawn. And as we think for just a few moments about leadership here at Woodlawn, I'd like to share with you just briefly uh, how we'll be moving forward beginning in the next few weeks. Pastor Laramie is out this week. They had a vacation planned from several months ago. He'll be back next week. Next week will be his last Sunday to lead for us uh, in, in his current position. And then beginning the first Sunday in October on Sunday mornings in terms of corporate worship, David Stokes for the rest of this year is going to lead us on Sunday mornings, and Randy Trahan is going to oversee our choir ministry at Woodlawn, beginning now through the time in which we find uh, the new person, the new man of God to come and lead us. So if you see David and Randy around campus over the course of the next few months, encourage them. They'll need all, they'll need all they can. They both have full-time jobs and yet going to use their gifts and talents to service here at Woodlawn, and we're thankful so much for their willingness to service in that way. I'd like to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 5, as we continue our way through this chapter. We saw last week in chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, as the nation of Israel had already made a, or they went to Pharaoh to make a declaration, hey buddy, let your people go if you will. They desired to go into the wilderness to worship and of course, they got this incredible pushback from Pharaoh. And we continue this narrative today in Exodus chapter 5, verses 10 through 21. And we learn this most important truth. Faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to God cannot be measured by the absence of pain. Faithfulness to God cannot be measured by the absence of pain, but by trust in His Word alone. But by trust in His Word alone. We're going to see in this narrative how Israel struggles in faithfulness to God. You might remember at the very end of chapter 4, in fact, you can look there just briefly in chapter 4, verse 31, Israel makes this incredible confession of faith. Israel is trusting in the Lord. Israel is resting in God's good providence. She's thankful that the Lord has indeed renewed his commitment to bring her back to the promised land that he had given to them. And listen at this text of scripture in Exodus chapter 4, verse 31, and the people believed and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and did what? Worshipped. Israel, at the end of chapter 4, is rightly responding to God's work in their life. Israel is thankful that in this moment of great difficulty, you remember, they've, they've been down in Egypt now, and they've been enslaved, and they're longing for their freedom, and the Lord has promised this to them, 
And their response when they hear the Lord is going to act is to respond with a heart of gratitude, with thankfulness and worship to God. But let's see how Israel responds in our narrative today as they hear that Pharaoh, their earthly master, is not going to let them go. In chapter 5, verses 10 through 14, we see that Israel's faith in God leads to pain. Israel's faith in God leads to pain. So the taskmasters masters, and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout the entire region, throughout the entire land of Egypt, to gather stubble for straw. And the taskmasters, they were urgent, saying, look what they said, complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was no straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Israel's faithfulness leads to pain. Last week we saw in the text of Scripture Moses fulfills the commission that God has given him. He and Aaron go stand before Pharaoh and they plead with Pharaoh, please let your people go a a three days journey out into the wilderness so that we might sacrifice. It was Moses' and Aaron's delight, desire to take the nation of Israel and go do exactly what God had called them to do. Bow and worship of this one true living God. But you'll remember from last week when when Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh, Pharaoh concludes that the only reason Moses and Aaron would ask that the people be able to go out into the wilderness to worship for three days must be that they are lazy, that they have entirely too much time on their hands. But see, Moses and Aaron's request of Pharaoh was a request birthed in faithfulness to God. It wasn't only a request of Pharaoh and Aaron. It was a request on behalf of the nation of Israel. They too desired to worship the Lord in this way and see what their heart's right delight, their heart's right desire accomplished for them. Did their faithfulness to God lead to more freedom and greater prosperity? No. Their faithfulness to God led to greater persecution and difficulty. Did you hear it? Pharaoh wonders in this text, what's your problem? 
I'm not giving you any more straw. If you'll remember, it was the nation of Egypt. Their taskmasters, their slaves would go and gather the straw and bring that straw to the nation of Israel for them to make bricks. But now, that's over. The nation of Israel has to do absolutely all of it. And notice where they have to go in order to find straw. They don't go to a storehouse. They don't go to the local Walmart there in Egypt and say, yes, we'd like to purchase some straw. The Bible says, the Bible paints the image that the nation of Israel is wandering throughout the entire nation of Egypt just trying to find some stubble. You even see it in your English Bibles. There's a change in the word from straw to stubble. The nation of Israel is even willing to to find a, a lesser quality of straw, if you will, in order to make their bricks because they're so desperate to make sure they don't endure the wrath of Pharaoh. And by the way, from the text, how many days has it been that they've not fulfilled their orders for Pharaoh in terms of bricks? How many? Two. Two days. How many of you want to go work for Pharaoh? He'll pay you well. Two days. We think, my gracious, Pharaoh, like, where is your, where's your grace? Where's your, where's your kindness? This is something new for the nation of Israel. They've not been having to find their own straw. And now they're having to go throughout the entire region of Egypt and find their straw. And, and you're being so hard and ungrateful and harsh. Does Pharaoh relent? No. You know the narrative because you've read the book of Exodus before. But even in the telling of this story, before we get to these very specific references, you can already see Pharaoh has a hard heart. Pharaoh stands in rebellion against God. It's not that Pharaoh is simply rejecting the cry and the plea of this nation of Israel. No, Pharaoh is ultimately rejecting the cry and the heart and the desire of God. And his rejection, his disobedience is birthing in him this heart of rebellion that grows and grows and grows. But look how he responds here. No, go get your own straw. But not only that, Pharaoh is going to execute the beating of the taskmasters over Israel. So the managers, if you will, of the people of Israel, those tasked with oversight, the Israelis tasked with oversight over the Israelis to accomplish this job, Pharaoh supposes that he can pressure them in such a way, he can beat them in such a way, that they will then turn around and ensure that his wishes are carried out. But will that happen? Will Pharaoh's plan actually work? Israel's faith to God leads to greater pain. But notice what happens here in verses 15 through 21. Israel's pain 
leads to a lack of trust in God. Israel's pain leads to a lack of trust in God. Hear these words. Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But Pharaoh said, You are idle. You are idle. That is what you say. Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Israel's pain leads to a lack of trust in God. I don't know about your heart. I know about Lewis's heart. And I know the heart of the nation of Israel for we read it in this text of Scripture. At too many times, we are prone to allow our circumstances around us to dictate our response to God. When things are great, when life is wonderful, when the kids are obedient, when you get to see the grandkids five and six times a day or a week, when everything at your job is going just right, when the relationship and the context of your home between your your, your husband and your and wife is, is going well. We find it so easy to engage and to worship the Lord. We find it easy to, to give thanks for God's providential care in our lives. We might even find it easier to show up to church and engage in conversation with those around us and talk about God's kindness to us. But we find it increasingly difficult when the circumstances around us are not what we had imagined. When you lose your job. When you don't get that job you really wanted. When the difficulty in the home with, with the child is so intense that you don't know how to respond. When your AC at home breaks and in the same day your vehicle breaks and in the same day, keep going down and down, 
the rental that you bought had a flat tire. How are you responding to God in that moment? See, friends, one commentator noted the presumption that a good God never lets dangerous or harmful events happen to his people, fake as it has always been, is a very old belief. Let me repeat that. The presumption that a good God never lets dangerous or harmful events happen to his people, fake as it has always been, is a very old belief. Wait a minute, Lord. You told us that you were going to deliver us. You told us to go to Pharaoh and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. We were, we were excited. Our bags were packed. Everything was ready. We were ready to go out into the wilderness. We were ready to encounter you, God. But God, the path that you've set us on has led to an increase of pain. How easy is it for us to cast the sinfulness of our own wicked heart on someone else? For the taskmasters, it was for sure Pharaoh. You're responding in an unfair way. For the taskmasters, it was also the nation of Israel. You're not laboring like you should. For the nation of Israel, it was God. See, friends, you and I cannot often control our circumstances but we can always control our response we can't always control our circumstances but we can always control our response don't see pain in your life as the absence of God in your life perhaps God is using that pain in your life to increase your faith and your hope and your trust. How is God using pain in the hearts and lives of the nation of Israel in the context of the totality of this story? We're going to get there. But God is ultimately using the pain in the life of the nation of Israel to bring Him glory so that all the peoples may know that He is God. It's the temptation of our hearts to find ourselves in a difficult moment and complain. Now, I have to confess, I can be the chief complainer among us. Everybody likes to complain about something, right? Several years ago, our family went to dinner with Miss Carolyn and Mr. Dean. You remember this, at a local restaurant. And, you know, sometimes you... By the way, this was before COVID, so they couldn't use COVID, Miss Carolyn, in these days. 
You go to a restaurant nowadays, it's nothing maybe to wait for a full hour before your meal comes. But we were at this restaurant for three hours. Now, I must confess, we had good company. We were having good conversations. We solved the world's problems while we were sitting at the restaurant. But I did what we all do, or at least what we all used to do. I went to Facebook. Because right, social media is the right place to level complaints. This is, this is what we should do. As Christians, we should complain. So I went to Facebook and leveled a complaint naming this restaurant and how pathetic everything was in our experience. And a very kind, gracious, prophetic brother in the life of this church sent me a text message. And you know what he quoted to me? Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. Grumbling or questioning. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Pastor. I don't think your Facebook post is a shining example of Christ's love to the world. Conviction. I deleted my Facebook post. And I've tried since that very day to be very, to be much more uh, careful, to be more careful in how I level complaints and grumble. Friends, did you hear the Apostle Paul? If there was a brother, if there was a faithful Christian who had a reason to complain, we can go to 2 Corinthians and we can see the listing of all of the problems that happened in the life of Paul, how many times he was shipwrecked, how many times he endured beatings, how many times he was snake-bitten. If there was one person in all of the course of Christian history that has a right to complain, surely it's Paul, but what does Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, pin to us concerning complaints? Israel's complaining, you're complaining, my complaining is ultimately a statement of distrust in God's ability to guide my life and your life. So how do we respond? Well, we could respond like the nation of Israel. We could level the accusation that God isn't caring. This is what the nation of Israel is supposing, but God has already communicated his care, and perhaps the nation of Israel is thinking that God's not being faithful to his word. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, during those days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help, and their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Listen to Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. 
Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The nation of Israel knows what God's intention is. They already know how God is is leading, but they act as though God doesn't care. We could respond in that way. We could act, woe is me, nobody cares, the Lord's not paying attention to me. Or, notice in this text, we could continue to blame God. Look at the end of verse 21. And they said to him, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put, notice these words, a sword in their hand to kill us. God, this is all your fault. You've led us down this path. But notice their language again. You have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Go back to chapter 5, verse 3. Chapter 5, verse 3. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, this is Moses and Aaron talking. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Lest what? Lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. Moses and Aaron understand that in God's hands are life and death. But notice now what the supposed faithful Israelites are saying about life and death. They think that Pharaoh has the power of life and death. You know what they're expressing? Their lack of faith and trust in God. God, you don't know what you're doing. But hear the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. How do we respond to difficult situations? How do we respond in that moment of distress? How do we respond when pain is so prevalent? How do we respond when things aren't going our way? Listen to Jesus, Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. See, friends, Jesus doesn't say that if you, by faith, will come to him, that if you will trust in him, 
that he's going to take all of your burdens and your cares away and no more pain and no more sorrow and no more difficulty in your life. But hear the compassionate shepherd Jesus. When pain does run over you like a tsunami, when pain does hit you like a train, Jesus says, you can come to me and I will walk beside you. Jesus does say, come to me for I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus does say, come to me in the midst of your heavy burdens, under the midst of an overbearing, difficult situation. Come to me, and there I will give you rest. How do we rest in Jesus? How do we hope in Christ? By a settled disposition in our minds and in our hearts that He and He alone is in control and that we can completely, totally trust Him regardless of the circumstances. See, friends, rest does not mean that God erases your pain. Rest means God comforts you in your pain. And friend, the only way that your heart and my heart can be comforted by Christ in our pain is when we trust Him with our lives. You will never find rest in Jesus and live your life in rebellion toward Jesus. You will never find peace in your life and reject the Prince of Peace, Jesus. You will never find rest for your soul and continue to position your life in a manner that exclaims, I don't need God. You will never find rest for your soul and not repent of your sin and cast yourself at the mercy of God pleading for his forgiveness. Why, friend? Because the Bible tells us that apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. The Bible tells us that apart from Christ, we are enemies of God and we need to be rescued from our sins and made right with God. And the only way for you and for me to be rescued from our sins is to trust in Jesus. For the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you call on Christ's name today? Would you trust in Jesus today? Would you hope in Christ today?
Would you rest in Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you that in your grace, your grace experience in the midst of pain is the ever-present, all-powerful Jesus. And so God, we ask you this morning that indeed you would cause us by your Spirit to hope in Christ. That we would rest in Him. That Lord, we would measure our faithfulness to you by our trust in your word alone and not by the absence of pain. Would you spend a few moments where you are, friend, this morning and respond to the preaching of God's word? In what way or in what ways do you find yourself trusting in God? In what ways do you find yourself not trusting in God? In what ways do you see yourself pursuing the pleasures of this world to provide your heart peace instead of pursuing Christ for that peace? Will you reflect back on your week? Will you join me in counting the number of times you expressed distrust in God by complaining? just a few moments we're going to stand and respond to the preaching of God's word as we stand to sing friend perhaps you're here today and you know that your life is separated from God in Christ you've never trusted in Christ you've never given him your life you never trusted him with your life you try to do things by your own power and by your own merit And today you realized that your only hope, that our only hope, that my only hope is Christ. And you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ. As we sing, myself and Pastor Travis will be down front. We'd delight to share with you how you can trust in Christ. But friend, you don't have to come forward and speak to one of us. Please feel free to turn to someone seated next to you, behind you, in front of you. For there are plenty of people seated around you that would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. Secondly, perhaps you're facing one of those situations that the text mentions today, a situation that causes pain. And you would like for your heart to be rested in Christ. You know that you're not trusting like you need to. And you'd like for one of us just to pray with you. That the Lord might strengthen your heart, might strengthen your faith, 
might cause you to walk faithfully with him. We would delight in shepherding your heart by praying for you. Or thirdly, maybe God has impressed it upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with Christ. This would be an opportunity for you to, for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. Lord, as we respond to you now, we ask that our response might be pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing?